0: 25 of Great Women in Fraud. I am delighted to have my friend and colleague Joe Irvin as our guest. Joe and I probably never would have met if we both didn't leave jobs that weren't aligned with our personal ethics. Things are just meant to happen. I truly believe that. Jo is not just a friend and a colleague, but she is an author, course creator, trainer, and consultant. It's just hard to keep up with her. And she is all about changing the perception of auditors from just being bad cops. You will love this episode because you will learn about squirrels and ethics, no kidding, and is sunscreen an eligible FSA expense? Stay tuned for the answer. Let's go. Here we have another great woman in fraud. And I am so excited to have Joe with us Um, because Joe of Amanda, Joe Irvin, we have like so many sort of crossovers and um, because everyone knows how much I love auditors and Joe is like, amazing auditor. But then she's got the fraud. And then she also has National Speakers Association. So I just think that like we were meant to be. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Joe, for you to give your business what you love to do, just kind of a, you know, a bit of an intro.
1: Sure, and I I would agree with that. I love how our paths have crossed because we basically met on LinkedIn, which is both of our favorite platforms, of course. And then we got to meet in person at one of our last in-person events that we had for the Speakers Association. So I'm like still daydreaming about conferences like that at this point. Um, But yes, uh, I go by Joe. My full name is Amanda Joe Irvin on LinkedIn. And I started my business about three years ago Uh, And it's called Audit Consulting Education, LLC. And I know that's a mouthful, so I call it ACE for short. But then my son says, why did you name your company after a hardware store, mom? And so then, of course, I like say the full thing again. But anyway, uh, but those are the three wings of my business. So Audit is where I come from. It's my passion. That's been my career for 17 years now. Um, So I still do what I call internal audit strategy work, going into clients and companies and really making their internal audit group more effective and more valuable to the organization. That's what's really important to me. Um, I don't want them to be the bad cop anymore. So it's all about changing that perception of auditors. Uh, And then my consulting business really is, I am now fully invested in, in what I'm calling culture consulting. So as I Kelly will probably um, let me selfishly plug, I just published my book on ethics and ethics and culture, and really even teaching auditors how to audit culture has been such a passion of mine that um, you know I've I've started going into organizations and saying you know here's some things to really improve your culture, and whether that's monitoring things like hotlines or surveys, getting that feedback from employees, um, that's really my my latest and greatest passion. And then the last wing of my business is probably my favorite and where we cross paths is is my training and speaking and education. Uh, I'm teaching two courses of high at the higher ed level right now. So I'm teaching principles of accounting. So back to debits and credits for me uh, at at a university here in Denver where I am. So uh, I love that education side of things. I love teaching and training. And I think that allows us to meet so many great people in our business, in our field. So um, that's a little bit about me.
0: Well, yeah. So as I said, I mean, you hit on everything. It's, um, I love audit because you always want to make things better. And then the whole culture and um, tone at the top, whistleblowing. You had said that you had just listened to a previous episode by Jackie Garrick on whistleblowers. And then the education, like, I never thought I would be an educator, but I am an educator. You are an educator. And I think it's my favorite sort of thing. And much like you, we keep it fun.
1: Yes. Yes. I always, you know, I, I always start my CPE conferences by saying I sat on the other side of the table for the last, you know, 17 years, and I'm, you know, I, I'm a CPA, I'm a, like you a CFE, I'm a CIA, I have to have that continuing ed. And I dreaded some of those continuing ed classes. So it was like my goal in life to make those better and make people want to come back to me uh, for that continuing ed credit. So yeah, that's, that is probably my favorite part too. And um, and I like, you know, instead of saying a trainer or a speaker, I love that term. Like you used it, educator. I, I just, that sounds just so good to me. So maybe yeah.
0: using that more and more. <laughs> I totally stuffed my foot in it. The other day I was talking to a chapter about me coming to do ethics presentation and you know, I was, I wasn't driving somewhere, but I didn't have LinkedIn up in front of me. And I said, you know, I promise my ethics will not be like a lawyer's and say, it depends. And the guy says, I'm a lawyer. And I was like, no, okay, (laughs) well, let's not count on that one. (laughs) But, but much like you is like, you know, if it's memorable, Mm -hmm. if it's fun, it's memorable. Mm -hmm. You are not going to remember um, you know, the boring sort of stories, you're going to remember the crazy sort of stories that you can't make up, but they happen in real life.
1: I always say those, I'm like, you know, you can't make this stuff up, but it makes for great ethics training material, right? Yeah,
0: it does. And okay, so this is one thing right off the top that I will forever associate you with is squirrels. Let's talk about squirrels. Yes, okay. So, uh, you
1: know, the I always say like I have been a tattletale since birth. So I always say like I've had this passion for ethics probably since I was uh really really young and I in fact I I say I wasn't a tattletale but a really short whistleblower back then. That's how I describe myself. Um but you know my son I hope that I'm instilling these same values in him and and it's hard to see that right as they're growing up and So when he was actually in the first grade, his class was asked to draw doing the right thing. And I remember walking into the hallway at his school back when we could go into school uh, and seeing all these drawings from these young kids of what they saw as doing the right thing. And my son's was, if a squirrel is falling, catch it. And now, of course, he spelled the word catch wrong. It was C-A-C-H. He was missing a T. But everybody's always impressed that he actually spelled the word, word squirrel right. Um, but that's actually how I start one of the chapters in my ethics book is, you know, we need to get back to, to seeing things as at the, you know, as a basics, at the basic level. And, um, you know, I actually go through the different ethics philosophies. That there are in life, uh, and I I sum them up, according to the squirrel scenario. So you know those things about ethics that you find really boring. If I were to sit here and tell you, I'm going to tell you about the five ethics philosophies that exist. You're going to go snore fest, right? But if I put up this picture that my son drew of a squirrel falling out of a tree, and I say, you know, in this scenario, the person would catch it because that's what the best thing to do is. Or in this scenario, the person would catch it and feed it to people because they think that's the best thing to do, you know. And so just going through the different philosophies that way, I've found just to be more fun for everyone. It's more fun for me, I get to brag about my kid, Uh, and it's more fun for audiences because they don't have to just listen to the textbook. They get, you know, that actual kind of, let's put this in, into context to understand
0: it, so. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's the thing is, like, if we give these sort of big, highfalutin scenarios, are, is the average person going to relate to that? No. Right. But like, how many parents are relating to, you know, catching a squirrel? Just <laughs> catch it. Just do it, just catch it. Like, yeah. I
1: love that. Yeah, talking about things like, you know, I've had people come up to me after training and we talk about like one of the philosophies being the social contract theory. And now, you know, in my example, there is Benjamin, my son, with all his friends, they get on the playground and they decide whether they all want to collectively catch the squirrel or not. And it's this kind of more group think decision. And so then it leads you down these awesome conversations about, you know blind spots to our ethics and peer pressure and groupthink and and that's the stuff you know I know you and I love that i mean i teach behavioral ethics right like i am not i will straight out tell you if you want my cpe course it's not regulatory ethics it is behavioral because that's the part i like right that's the that's the good stuff if you ask me
0: well, I think it's the good stuff because like, okay, regulatory ethics, I'm going to say, you know, if you do this, if you do X, Y happens, whereas when it's behavioral, you're like, hmm, if I do X or if I don't do X or if I do Y, then like it, we can relate to that when something, and this goes to you and I both are like huge behavioral science, behavioral econ fans is the short and the fast thinking. Mm-hmm. or quick and slow, fast and slow thinking is it turns out the slower thinking is more ethical. Mm, yeah. Because yeah. you need to just kind of stop and think about things instead of just like, I mean, our quick sort of, we're just going to do it, you know, just doesn't, it doesn't work a lot of times. Right.
1: So. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, th- there's something to be said to following your gut but there's also, there is something to be said, to be going through. I mean, I know one of my favorite ethics book uh, books by Blanchard and Peel goes through the ethics check. And I talk about that in my book too. You know, that is it legal? Is it fair and balanced? And will you be happy with yourself at the end of the day? And, you know, that just that quick three question ethics check, you know, that's what you're talking about, right? It's the stop and think about it. And I think that a lot of, unfortunately, things happen in businesses because executives don't think they have time to stop and do that. Uh, they just want to make those quick decisions. They're so focused on the short term instead of long term um, or profits over purpose or however you want to say it. Um, I could say it a hundred ways. I'm like, values need to be over victories. You know, we, we've got so many ways to say that. Uh, but that's the problem today really is that that quick, too quick of thinking when it comes to our ethics.
0: Yeah. Yeah. because. Um you know, our gut isn't right all the time. (laughs) Yeah, it is not right all the time. Um, So, and you just said something that, uh, (laughs) I love the really short whistleblower. (laughs) Again, it's a vision, like having this sort of vision is so incredibly important to have that kind of vision. Again, it's not this up in the cloud sort of like, well, if this were to happen, but if you can have a vision of someone, um, you and I have also like, (laughs) we've done through your book club, we did fraud and pop culture. And, um, why is fraud and pop culture? So there's so much of it because everyone loves fraud.
1: Right. Yeah. And I, you know, and everybody you know, they they want, they have to have ethics, right? For their CPE. They know they need ethics, but I think that's why they love someone like you or me doing it because we do bring that fraud aspect into it. And I always start um now by differentiating between ethics and fraud. I I don't know if we talked about I'm sure we've talked about this, but I've had so many people say, explain to me difference like why do we have both courses because you talk a lot about frauds in your ethics course and i said well let me let me just explain it to you this way that every fraud is unethical every fraud that happens out there is unethical but not all unethical behavior is fraud and what i like to do is teach and train people and auditors to see that unethical behavior before it turns to fraud, right? We want to get back to the basics and get, this is about my whole stance on teaching and about life in general, health, life choices is about being proactive. And, you know, that's just what I stand for. And and when it comes to ethics and culture, it's like we can catch some of that unethical behavior if we start opening our eyes to it before it even becomes fraud, before our, you know, our companies are on the front page of the paper. And so I always like to differentiate. They're so intertwined, but there's that difference that I want to bring back everybody back to the ethics piece of it. Cause I think that happens first, you know, in a lot of instances. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, unfortunately a lot of people don't get rewarded and we don't have to be rewarded, you know, in a financial sense or whatever. You don't get rewarded for being ethical. Right. Yeah. And, and people see that and then it makes them less hesitant. Yes. Um. And we never know what someone's actually going through. Right. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And, and you know, I saw that gap now that you mentioned that. Um, another selfish plug for the book is why there are five chapters on organizational ethics. You know, the book... Uh, The book's called Becoming the Everyday Ethicist. So the overall goal is to get you personally to become what I call the everyday ethicist, meaning you don't compromise your integrity at any cost, whether you walk out of the store and forget to pay for that $2 item or whatever it is. I want you to think about your ethics and all those little everyday things. But I start the first part of the book is about personal ethics. Then I get into leadership ethics ethics because we're all leaders in our own way. So it's just kind of an expansion of personal ethics. But then the bulk, the last half of the book is organizational ethics. It's It focuses on the things not to do. So it fo- it has that chapter on unethical organizations. But then it talks about how do we set our values? How do we set our priorities? How do we focus on all the right stakeholders? Um, And then how do we build those reward systems around things like ethics and ethics programs? And I think, um, you know, that I've gotten a lot of positive feedback on because there isn't a lot of guidance out there on how how could you do that? How could you reward ethical behavior? So and it's not that complicated. You start you start looking for it, right? This is about opening our eyes to what's happening and, and watching those customer service reps that actually do something that's better for the customer than it is for the company. And you reward that behavior. Uh, I know in one of your previous episodes, you mentioned Wells Fargo, and I always pick on Wells Fargo because obviously they were incentivizing their employees you know, to, to open more customer accounts, that whole eight is great thing. You know, that had nothing to do with the customers and and they weren't incentivizing the right thing, uh, bottom line there. So uh, anyway, soapbox, but
0: no, no, oh, that is so funny because you and I both are going to be on Rob Berry's new podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, I even said, OK, I have a soapbox for fraud <laughs> and I have a soapbox for ethics. The soapbox for fraud being gambling is a pink flag. That's just kind of my thing. It's like it's just so easy. Um and then the soapbox for ethics is pay attention to whistleblowers. I'm yeah. like, I implore people to pay attention to whistleblowers. And as the fraud hashtag queen, it's like one of my hashtags is whistleblowers are heroes. Right. And um, you have a bit of an experience as a whistleblower. Do you yeah. want to talk about
1: that? Well, I, You know, I it's funny because as I listened to your episode on uh, whistleblowing, it was Jackie, right? Yeah. Uh, At the very end of her podcast, she talks about all the different types of whistleblowers out there. And she got into a little bit of kind of like, uh, not really in detail, but thinking about like the Me Too movement and sexual harassment and gender discrimination. And I'd say, you know, my whistleblowing, what I would consider was more um, something along those lines than it was, uh, you know, a a real fraud or, or something like that going on. To me, I consider myself a whistleblower because I was able to stand up and say your values don't match my values, and I'm I'm out the door, and, and that's what I think my proud moment is. And whether you want to call that a whistleblower or a not, um, you know that's 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 my story, and I'm sticking to it. Right? I mean, and and that's why I love to teach ethics because everybody thinks they're ethical, right? I, I always have that line: no one is as ethical as we think we are, and everybody goes, what? Yes, I am. Um, but the bottom line is, we're not, but we we think we have these values. But I want you to center yourself on those values. And then I want you to inspect your organization's values and your leader's values and the people around you. And did they match? Because if they don't, in my, in my mind, you're never going to be truly happy in your life. You're never going to truly succeed. Um, and there's just this you know, I'm teaching principles of accounting. There's this matching principle that needs to happen right on when it comes to values. And that's really what, um, you know, what I, that's just really what I want to impress upon people. Um, And, and my second real stance that I have just finally, I feel like gotten into words is that it's not A to Z for me. It's A to V it's, it's connecting actions to values. And I think because there's this disconnect between what people think they do and how they behave. And then they act contrary to that. It's just, it's bringing it all together. We need to match our actions to our values. And so that's my new, uh, maybe my new tagline, we'll call it that.
0: I love the actions to values and, you know, uh, you know, my story, I was retaliated against and, um, I, I mentor and I know you do a lot of young professionals. And I, we were, I was talking about this with Rob was, um, You always have to have a walkaway fund. I call it the FU fund. (laughs) And um, I've never, like in my early 20s, I didn't have the actual financial wherewithal to do it. But I think you can have the attitude to do it. Mm -hmm. It makes it easier if you do have the financial, you know, backing behind you to be able to do it. In my heart of heart, I, I believe people want to do the right thing but then they think about, you know, their kid at school, their, you know, their mortgage their And, and then they go down the sort of, I'm going to say squirrel hole of like being able to rationalize and justify that behavior. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, you bring me to the question I always ask at the end of my training, which is, would you quit your job before you quit your own ethics? And, you know, I think that in itself you know, we don't want you to give up. I want you to try. I want you to blow the whistle. Right. I mean, this isn't about just walking away and letting that organization fail or, or any of that. It, it's though that you do have to take care of yourself at the end of the day. I'm a firm believer in self-care. Uh, and I, I talk about being pro self to organizations, which is proactive and selfish. You know, it, at some point you do need to decide when you're not going to compromise your own ethics and you are ready to take that step. And, and you know, it's kind of like your, your fund, but it's a mental fund that I want people to have. I want them to feel so strong in their values that they are mentally prepared to walk away. Um, and then, you know, obviously, I, I am a, a firm believer that things will come. I didn't know that, you know, I was going to leave my corporate job three years ago. I, I didn't know. And so, but the, you know, the universe supported me and I was able to successfully replace my, my internal audit director income doing this because it's my passion and this is what I love to do. And so, um, yeah, I, I hope, I know that's a hindrance for some people, but I, I hope that, um, the universe always helps out when it needs to. That's my, that's my stance.
0: I totally believe it. I mean, if you were still, I'm going to say an internal audit somewhere, I don't think we would have ever met. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, the worst day of my life led to, you know, the work that I get to do now, and it's so much more rewarding. And also when you do get, and you have, you have some great quotes on the back of, um, your book that, uh, ethics presented in a no non, no nonsense, refreshing and fun way best ethics presentation I've ever attended. Do you like, I'm going to say from, um, you know, corporate America, uh, did you ever get a best ethics presentation? i no. <laughs> no, I'm going there with that. So <laughs> we'll just leave that. Nope. <laughs> um, and this leads to one of the questions, what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? What, what would you tell them to do?
1: You know, I, um, yeah well let's let's go back to LinkedIn you know I I think when I'm when you or I meet someone we origin we automatically search their LinkedIn right you look at what that looks like and um, anytime I meet someone, I'm pretty open and honest and direct about saying you need to to beef up that LinkedIn. This is your persona online, and especially from a professional uh, community way. And I teach students, and I ask my students every semester to raise their hand. How many of them have LinkedIn?s And it's usually about half, and they're just they're not at that point yet. And I'm like, we're gonna get you there by the end of this semester. That's why it's my add on to my course because it's so important and critical and so especially if you want to go out on your own like someone like you or i you've got to you've got to get out there and you've got to you've got to get out there and present yourself the best way possible so you know investing the time in having someone help you with your linkedin or um just really looking at other people's and mimicking it's as easy as that right um be an imposter use that imposter syndrome and uh you know copy someone's that you admire uh, and use that as a stepping ground. So, you know, I think really working on your presence and how you present yourself to the community is huge. Um, you know, the other things, it, you know, if someone is looking to go out on their own, you know, I, I say make friends with anyone or in your community that could, could help you in any way. I always say, find out um, the best and the brightest recruiters in your town. You know, if you're looking for consulting work or uh, investigations or anything like that, a lot of times people pick up the phone and call those recruiting firms. And then if you're on their speed dial, they know, you know, who the expert in that area is. And so one of the first things I did when I went out on my own, when I was really taking on consulting clients, was worked with a ton of good recruiters here in the Denver area. And those are relationships that are ongoing. And, um, so I, I love that. I look at it kind of as in corporate America, I always told auditors to get to know your HR department. If you want to audit culture, you know, those are the people on the front lines talking to the employees, doing the exit interviews, looking at the complaints and, and, you know, and, and that, that relationship is a lot of times very strained. So think about those people and those relationships that you could build that are kind of out of the box from what you would normally do. And I guarantee those will help your career, uh, whether you're in corporate
0: or out on your own. So I think, um, and I'm just gonna, I'm like spitballing here right now. I think women are a little bit better at that on LinkedIn, also in social media, than men, because we can be more vulnerable. I mean, I get a couple of um, you know, LinkedIn messages a week asking for guidance. There yeah. was a young girl in the Mid East, and you know, should I do my CFE? And I was like, absolutely do your CFE. Right. And she's like, Well, I don't have any experience yet. And I'm like, okay, go look at local chapters. There's a ton of virtual stuff right now. And, you know, don't hesitate to ask me. And then so she thanked me profusely. And all it took was me to say, you know what? Also keep me posted. Mm-hmm yeah and and, and I want to say that women are a little bit kinder or uh, than maybe on social media than men that yeah, way I think,
1: um, you know even after presentations, I've gotten that feedback of you know, you're the first presenter that I've felt like I could email you right after and ask your advice and I can't tell you how many questions I have a- answered about. Where do I even start with auditing culture? How do I convince my boss to, you know, to let me audit culture? Like just random questions that I feel so good that they feel comfortable, uh, you know, reaching out to me right after that and staying connected. I have questions six months later and that's, I love that stuff. And that's why, um, you know, you're like me. I mean, we'll give a link to our calendar and you know, it, there, we have time for that kind of stuff. And I think, um, I think that's critical for being a a good trainer in our space is it shows that we, we do care and we want to help. And it's not just the hour we're together. It's, I want you to put this in practice and how can I help you do that? It's not just theory. It's both, you know? So
0: yeah. Yeah. That is, that is so, which this goes to what's the best compliment you have ever received?
1: Oh, well, you know, the one that you read best ethics presentation I've ever attended. I actually have that on a like a, a four by six index card, because, you know, when we were in person, I gave like little cards to say, give me feedback. I, I preach uh, that I want internal auditors to get feedback on how they're doing. So I have to practice what I preach. Uh, and so I do it at, at every conference and I still do online surveys, of course. But I saved that one. And now I actually took a picture of it and put it in my presentation because I show it to audiences and I say, this is the bar that I've set for myself. I want everybody to leave here saying this is the best best ethics presentation they've ever attended. Um, And, you know, it's funny because a lot of times I'll get that feedback at the end. Like you reached you reached your goal like this was great or, you know, but it gives them that that talking point even to have that conversation after. Cause I mean, let's face it, a lot of people don't even wanna take the time to put a comment in. But if I say like, this is what I'm holding myself to, you know, this is this is my challenge to myself. I want you to leave here like this. It's kind of a conversation starter for them too. So I'd say I'd have to say that's number one cause I keep using it all the time.
0: <laughs> I just got that, I just did one for an IIA, uh chapter. And, um, it was in my 15 years, this is by far the best ethics presentation I've ever attended. And I just was like, it, it, it was nothing for that person to do that. It was like, you know, 30 seconds of typing and I was glowing and it's what keeps us going. I mean, again, if you're an attendee and you really like it, you know, do that. If you're an attendee and you don't like it, I'm going to say, you can say this didn't hit home. Give a suggestion. Don't just say, I didn't like her pink shirt. Like <laughs> do something that's like actually helpful because as trainers and educators, we want to improve all yeah. the time. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I'm like, you know, if you don't, they say there's um people either love you or hate you. There's no money in the middle if you hate me, tell me how we can be better. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. 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 We, we, could, we not, could probably go on about
1: that. for
0: <laughs> another. Oh time. my God. Yeah. We, so the, and I don't know this answer to you, even though, you know, we have talked so much, we've met in person, if you could work in a different job field, what would it be?
1: Oh, I really like this question. Um, I would be an interior designer. If I was a, a completely different life when I was younger, I wanted to be an architect and that kind of faded really quickly. Uh, but then I went from outside of houses to inside of houses and it's, you know, I've moved 28 times in my life and I'm about to turn 40. I just told Kelly this, so I'll tell everybody. I'm, I'm pretty open about it. Um, I have not minded moving one bit because it has just been a passion of mine to find new space, find new homes for the things I love. Like I, it just, my husband and I actually just bought the house we're in a year and a half ago and i we're still, you know, finding the perfect spot for things, but it's, it just makes me happy. And it, um, you know, I've had a lot of family members reach out for my help doing their own homes. I've never done it professionally. Um, I have a few great friends that are amazing at it. Uh, and I always say, I would love your job. But,, uh, in another world, uh, maybe I would do that. So, and maybe in retirement, I've always said, you know that's that's something I would just absolutely love to do. stage homes or uh, just go in and and decorate for people. so.
0: Yep. That's and that was so funny because Tracy Conan said she'd be a realtor oh. and I'm looking, I'm doing, I'm going to do the zoom room Raider and it's really good for you. Very, very good for you. You cannot see my zoom room right now because it's horrifying. Um, just, I have books all over the place, but, uh, that, yeah. Moving 28 times. I hate moving with a passion. Like I love buying houses. Like literally I love buying houses, but I hate the physicality of moving. So um, if I ever have to move again, I'm just going to have you come because I, well, yeah.
1: I will. And I, I would tell you, I love packing too, because I make people go through oh. stuff. I'm like, we're not packing this if you don't want it at your next home. So I am, I am a huge, I mean, I'm a volunteer for a lot of organizations, but I, I am a huge advocate of donate to those who need it. If you don't need it, if you don't want it, you know, my husband and I are pretty, I would call us minimalists. You know, there's not stuff everywhere, but, you know, he's even taught me to, you know, help others that could use something more than I do. So, um, so I really challenge people. I, that show hoarders kind of makes me crazy to be completely honest, but, <laughs> I, um, I would challenge. I would challenge anybody as I was packing and unpacking. I do it on both ends. So, oh my god, What, That's so funny. <laughs> um,
0: what are some resources that you can give the great women in fraud community that you just really you've used or you recommend?
1: Um, besides you. I would say <laughs> anytime anybody asks me who to follow, all I would say is look at who's been on your podcast or you, honestly, because those are the names I give. Um, so definitely all of those. Um, and then I'm going to use uh, an answer I know some of your other guests have used is, is you know, books are great, you know, but they're as of a point in time. So I always keep that context. I mean, you know, I have a CPE book club. I do about a book a month and I get jump on a webinar i've been doing this for three years and i give a cpe and i love that but what i've realized is it is point in time it's point in time what the leadership philosophy of that person was in that at that point in time and when i put together my own books i tried to use a gazillion different books right because i wanted everybody's thoughts in in there um I think from a current standpoint, is any newsletter, any email in the morning that you can get. You know, I always tout uh, things like the Morning Brew because I think they're it's witty and it gives you not only you know that stock market info, but what's happening in the world today and um, just bits and pieces. And then I do the Forbes Daily Dozen. I do the Forbes Upturn, which is positive news, which you don't get a lot, so I love that one. Um, Forbes women is also another one that's great. Um, New York Times, I get them all. And, and what I do is I've made it a habit. And because everybody says I get on all these lists, and then I get overwhelmed and I, you know, I don't read them and I don't keep up. And then you've got this inbox full of stuff, right? Um, you know, wake up 20 minutes earlier, get get up, get your coffee and sit down and do it before you do anything else. And I will will say that changed my world. And I haven't been doing that in the entire three years I've been an entrepreneur. I felt very overwhelmed probably about the first year with how do I get all the information I need? You know, how do I know some, you know, I go to, let's be honest, I'd go to ethics training and people would be like, have you heard of this latest college basketball fiasco? And I'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about then I realized real quick, I've got to get something every morning that's the source of what's happening. And I did a study at one point, one month, there was 12 out of like 28 days that had one of the headlines was a fraud story or something to do with ethics, right? And so, you know, I realized how crucial this is to me and to being just current and up to date. And um, so, you know, whatever way you want to soak up that information, find a way and then make it a habit and, and don't break that habit. And that's something like, I know if I miss that one morning, I, my day is not right. You know, so it's just make it that important to you. Um, But I I don't know that that's really the best uh, fraud resource specific it's world events, current events, but sadly, a lot of that is fraud. So I'd say, you know, it's, it's a great place to start for resources.
0: Again, with the whole great women in fraud, guests that we've had, the lifelong learning, which includes staying on top of events. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people I have a lot of social media and people are like Twitter. Oh, my God, Twitter. I have gotten the best stories on Twitter. I I just like, you know, and, and I have a friend who whenever something happens in the neighborhood, she's like, get on Twitter and find out what's going on. But (laughs) like, I mean, I do it also for resources and things like that. But, um, the staying current is so incredibly important because the world is changing so incredibly fast. Yep. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And, and if you don't know, I mean, I think that's as a teacher, as a trainer, as an educator, like we said, if you and I'm not embarrassed if I don't know something, I'll I'll fully admit, you know, I actually have not heard that yet. Tell me about it. Right. But I don't want to be in that position as much as possible. I want to be able to contribute to the conversation. And, you know, I think that is what differentiates people in this space is those that know what they're talking about. Or ones that stand up there and read a PowerPoint slide and, you know, it's, they're not even owning the ma- material or caring about it. And so um, I, I think that's a huge differentiator in our, our space.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, this is kind of goes to COVID and as we've wrapped up, um, binging, like, <laughs> okay. You and I did fraud in pop culture. Uh-huh. It doesn't have to be fraud related, but what are you binging or what what's in your queue for, um, what you're going to be watching, listening, reading?
1: Well, um, I, so I listened to one of your other podcasts and they talked about the movie, the other guys, is that what it's called? Yep. And so I told you at the beginning of this, I put that one on my list. Um, I, have watched so many new fraud documentaries since we did fraud fraud and pop culture, like McMillian's. Right, yeah. I didn't know about that. We talked a lot about that one. Um, Mark Wahlberg did that documentary uh, on HBO. I think it's on Netflix now too. Um, the Challenger, the Final Flight. No, you know, e- almost every ethics book out there talks about the Challenger and the ethical dilemma. And I don't think a lot of the world knows about that and the decisions that were made. And that it's only four, uh, four episodes. And I always tell everybody stick to the last one, because you will be amazed at the ethical rationalizations that come to life. And um, just, oh, it just, it gives me chills thinking about just the entire thing. I really liked that one. Um, And on a personal, personal note, I just started the Queen's Gambit, and I, I know that one was all the rage a few months ago. And I'm like super excited to, I'm like 30 minutes into the first episode. So I'm going to probably be binging
0: that one here in the next few days. So that's so funny. We watched it as a family and uh, my husband and daughter just made uh, a handmade chessboard and it's beautiful, but oh. it all came from the Queen's Gambit. That's but awesome. then, okay. It, time it to learn to play already. Yeah. So. I it <laughs> to fraud. My husband bought online via Etsy the pieces for the chess game, uh-huh. his card got hacked. <gasps> and so I am like, Ugh. oh, so there's the fraud angle.
1: Everything ties to fraud some way or another. Right? Yeah,
0: I know. I know. <laughs> so what haven't I asked you that you want to leave our amazing audience with?
1: Uh, my favorite thing to share is probably my personal motto. And I know sometimes you get to that question. Uh, but my motto is good things come to those who wait but don't, you deserve better than good. And I, you know, my, my, again, my personal stance on life is that be as proactive as possible and, and know that you don't have to settle for good, that you can keep going for great. And whether that's at a new organization or that's starting your own business or whatever that is, just keep really um aspiring towards that greatness and and don't just stop it at good and and don't wait i you know i i know that there's all sorts of quotes you could read out there about how patience is the key Uh, i think patience is great up into a point but i think we have to all go after what we want and um i really try to get again auditors or, or any professionals to just not settle and really not wait for the right moment. Just go out there and get it and, and get what you deserve. So that's what I'd love to leave your
0: audience with today. Oh, that is that is so, so perfect. And then um, the last question is, what was the last thing you Googled before we got on the Zoom? Do you remember oh the last okay. thing you Googled?
1: Can I, can I look? That yeah, you can really look. Let me, let's, let's get the real facts here. Um, you're going to laugh at this is sunscreen approved for HSA? So oh. I, I was standing at Walgreens trying to decide um, as I was buying a, a prescription, mm-hmm. I think paying for a prescription, uh, can I buy this sunscreen that's sitting like right next to uh, the desk? So I apparently Googled whether that was approved on my HSA account. So Okay, well, is it? It is, it is. It, is. it says every sunscreen, over-the-counter sunscreen is. So there you oh, go. That is-
0: fascinating i I, never knew
1: that i know i i thought it was great a great answer too because we're i'm in denver colorado and our weather can change like that uh and so we were snowing a couple days ago and now it's going to be 70 this weekend so hence my sunscreen i'm looking forward to some outside time and i was able to buy it through my hsa so there's a little Uh fact there
0: that that is the auditor accountant with (laughs) the ethical person oh my gosh yeah I'll put in the show notes where we can find you. You guys reach out to Joe online and everything. And I thank you again so much. I mean, I am lucky. I get to talk to you all the time, but, you know, reach out to Joe because she's amazing. Just not on a Tuesday or a Thursday. (laughs) I
1: teach on those days, not at least right now on those days. But yeah, thank you, Kelly, so much for having me.
0: Did you know that sunscreen was an eligible expense? I didn't. Isn't Joe awesome? I am so honored to have her as my friend and colleague. The next time you look at Squirrels, I think you will think about her and her son. Be sure and get her book. It is a great book that is fun and practical and not filled with boring attorney ethics, including the saying, it depends. Also, reach out to Joe on LinkedIn. Thank you again for your time and see you next week.